You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, we're uh, on week six of this series we've been preaching uh, on the Holy Spirit. And in the past uh, several weeks, we have made several affirmations. First, that everything depends on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That everything depends on our capacity to believe that the Holy Spirit can raise a man from the dead. That everything depends on our capacity to act on the belief that the Holy Spirit not only raises the dead, but is active in, the, in our lives, changing us and guiding us. So this week we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit directs and redirects our lives. How the Spirit choreographs things and how the Spirit calls us to participate in those things. So I'd like to start with a story. Now, about a week, a little over a week ago, I got back from Camp Side by Side. Now, many of you know what that ministry is in our church, Side by Side. Side by Side is a ministry of University Presbyterian Church that serves families that have a child with severe illness, most oftentimes cancer. And in that ministry, uh, we serve families. We meet families from all over the place, from Alaska, Idaho, Montana, Washington, Oregon, even Belize, who come to Seattle Children's Hospital to receive care. And when they're in town, they often stay at Ronald McDonald House, and oftentimes they get hooked up with Side by Side. Side by Side provides care with family caregivers or providers. They, they come alongside families, support. They, uh, we have meals that we serve at Ronald McDonald House. And once a year, we pull off this camp. University Preston Church, Side by Side, pulls off this camp called Camp Side by Side. It's down at Camp Arnold at Salvation Army Camp near Mount Rainier. So we come together for this camp of fun a camp where we escape the weight of treatment for these families, and it's an invitation into a community full of joy, full of hope, full of a lot of fun. And this year, we, we settled on the theme of secret agents, and we had a secret agent summit. So I brought some pictures. There you go. <laughs> so 20 families uh, came to camp this year, and we had about 150 volunteers from UPC and around. And each family that comes to camp, uh, each child in that family, including the, the patient child, along with every other child, gets a one-on-one buddy or their one-on-one counselor for the week. So these parents get a real break uh, and a lot of help that week. So often camp is the first time in months or even years where parents see their ch- child running and playing again. And at camp, it's, it's kind of amazing to see how the Holy Spirit choreographs relationships. Now, my role at camp is one of being a barista, as well as uh, helping with the parent chapel. There's an elaborate coffee cart that's there that Tully's provides free of charge to us. They give us all the supplies and cups. It's great. A little plug for Tully's there. And it's, we fill it, and we just serve coffee drinks all day long um, and milkshakes and smoothies. And we get to know, we meet probably everybody in camp multiple times a day serving them drinks. We get to know their coffee orders, milkshake orders, and their... Uh, there are smoothie orders and whipped cream orders. It's amazing. Um, last year at camp, uh, not this year, but last year, um, we, uh, I, I met a family, a couple of parents who came to the coffee cart the very first day. They had a child with cancer. We'll call them uh, Robert and Chrissy for the purposes of the story. And as I was serving them a coffee drink, Robert started to ask me, he started talking to me, he asked me this question. He said, you know, my, my daughter uh, has cancer. She has acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And she's diagnosed at age three and a half. And my wife and I, Christy, were, were wondering if there might be someone at camp 
who has been through this before with their daughter. And so we have so many questions, he said. You know, we'd love just to talk to somebody about this who's been through what we've been through. What does the future hold? Uh, What does post-treatment look like? Uh, Where do we find hope in the midst of all this? Now, when I heard this, I, I kind of just loved seeing the Holy Spirit working in real time. Because I knew the answer to the question, and the answer, which is what I gave them, is I do know someone exactly like that. It's me. Because my daughter was diagnosed with that same exact cancer at three and a half years old also. And she's now 23 and at that time married. And uh, 23 at that time, she's married and she's working. She's doing great. I, I just love that priceless look in their face of, of being stunned and surprised and realizing that this is a divine appointment. And so we were able to talk that week and see that the Holy Spirit was connecting us. And we talked about cancer and the follow-up and fear and hope. We talked about where God was meeting us. We talked about um, just all kinds of things that had helped them and helped me. It was a real sense of coming together. It was a real encouragement there. Well, this year at camp, it's a year later, and this family came back for year two. You can go to camp side by side two years if you're a family. And they pull up. I'm helping to greet families and give them supplies at the beginning of camp. And as they pull into camp and get out of their car, there's walkie-talkies going and helping call things forward. And so they call forward the buddies to be assigned at camp, which they've assigned previously, but they have a chance to meet them. And so I'm just observing these connections being made. And so this family arrives, uh, uh, Robert and Chrissy, and, and their kids come out, and the buddies are all assigned. And the buddy for their daughter who has this cancer was my daughter, Andra. I had absolutely nothing to do with that. (laughs) That was one of those other Holy Spirit choreographed moments, just by chance. I love it when the Holy Spirit does this. Just nothing is like it, is it? Uh, There's just so much that another Holy Spirit choreographed moment happens. This is how the Spirit works, isn't it? At least one of the ways, connecting people who hold the hope of Jesus Christ in their hearts with those who need to experience it. So let me tell you another story, and this is the story of Cornelius and Peter. And it's our text today. It's, it's another one of those Holy Spirit choreographed moments. It's the story, really, of the start of the Gentile church in Acts chapter 10. It's found on page 894, 895 of your pew Bible. And it's a long passage, so I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I am going to tell you the story. And then there'll be a little section of it. We'll read a little bit into my sermon here. We'll read a section of it uh, uh, during that time. So here's the story. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He lives in this city called Caesarea Maritime. It's a big, big port city. It's a fabulous city that Herod's built. It's spectacular. It's got all kinds of things in it. It's the headquarters of the Roman governor in Israel. It's a big, it's an active port. And Cornelius is this, he's this good guy. He is a devout man. He is respected by God. He prayed. He's generous to the poor. And even the Jews of that city respect him. He has a reputation of being respected. And it's kind of one afternoon, something extraordinary happens. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and Cornelius has this vision. An angel appears to him, and he says, Cornelius. Kind of stuns him. He's afraid. The typical response when you have an angel appear. And he says, what is it, Lord? Well, your, your prayers and your generosity, they've been noticed by the Lord. And so uh, I want you to send some men to Joppa, which is about 30 miles to the south, or Joppa, and get this man named Peter. He's staying with a man named Simon the Tanner in a house by the sea. And then the angel leaves. 
So that gets uh, Cornelius' attention. And Cornelius sends three men to go find Peter. He sends two servants and one of his uh, soldiers under his command. But he tells these guys what this is about, what the vision has happened at all, and he sends them out. So these guys travel. And about noon the next day, they're approaching the city. They're starting to come in. But another vision happens before they quite arrive. And this time it's Peter. Peter has a vision. Peter's up on a roof of a house. It's about noon. He's hungry and he's praying. So he has this vision. And he sees heaven open up and there's this kind of like this uh, sheet coming down. And the four corners of it are held. So it kind of forms like a cargo net or something. And it holds things. It's holding all kinds of four-footed creatures. Uh, all uh, reptiles and birds and uh, and all kinds of four-footed creatures. And he's hungry, and, and it's a mixture of clean and unclean foods uh, in Jewish tradition and law. And then a voice says to Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter says, no, I, I don't eat unclean things. I don't do that. But this voice says, what God has made clean, you must not call unclean. And this happens three times with the voice commending this food to Peter and Peter refusing it. Something about that three-time thing with Peter. So Peter's puzzled by this, and he's sitting there kind of confused. And now these guys arrive from from uh, um, Caesarea. And so the spirit uh, doesn't have much more time for Peter to get this figured out. So he says to Peter, look, three men are searching for you. Go, get up, go down there, and go with them without hesitation, because I've sent them. He's pretty direct about it. Go with them. So Peter welcomes these guys in. They spend the night, and then they're off the next day towards Caesarea. They, they travel, and the next day after that, they arrive at Caesarea, and Cornelius is waiting for them. Cornelius, the Roman centurion, is waiting for them. And he's gathered his relatives. He's gathered his friends. He's got quite a little assembly there. And Peter arrives, and Cornelius doesn't know what to do. He just falls at Peter's feet, and he starts to worship him. And if you'd seen an angel, you know, a couple days before and he tells you to get this guy, you'd probably do the same thing. But Peter gets him up right away and says, no, 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 I'm just a mortal. So Peter then is invited in in front of this assembled group of people, these friends and family and the, the group that Cornelius has gathered. And he greets them this way. You yourself know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean that he is called clean. So when I was sent, I came without objection. Kind of a mixed greeting, don't you think? <laughs> so Peter doesn't have the smoothest way, but, he, but you can tell from his response here and his words that he finally understood the vision, didn't he? So Cornelius, uh, or, or Peter asked Cornelius, you know, why have you sent for me? And Peter, Peter and Cornelius uh, tells him about the visit with the angel that he'd had. And then Cornelius says this great line that every preacher would love to hear from their congregation. You have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. So, so Peter's ready. Now Peter gets to preach. And so Peter now uh, kind of presents in, in, in Acts 10. There's a summary of his sermon. So we're going to read that together. So break that out. Um, 895. And let's stand, and we're going to read, uh, starting with verse 34 through 43, the summary of Peter's sermon that he says to this crowd gathered, Cornelius' family, friends, and Cornelius, um, as he's been invited to preach. So let's, we're reading God's word together, starting with verse 43. Then Peter began to speak to them 
I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please have a seat. So Peter shares this message. He preaches to this very receptive group. And he shares this core message of the Christian faith, the message of the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he shares it to that all who believe in Jesus Christ receive forgiveness. He shares the call that those who know Christ are to be witnesses to his hope. And then something amazing happens. And it's still, while, while Peter's still preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on all these people. And they, it's just like Pentecost. They start speaking in tongues and praising God. And it's a very visible sign of the Holy Spirit present. And Peter and those who had come with him from Joppa were astounded. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They were stunned. So Peter decided he might as well baptize them all. So he did. The sign of what the Spirit had been doing in their life. And with this, the Gentile church begins. Kind of quite a story, isn't it? So what do we learn from this story? I think there's three observations from this text. First, the Holy Spirit is the choreographer of relationships. There is something about a God, about our God, that is relational. He works in a relational way. God wants people that hold the hope of Jesus Christ in their hearts involved in the lives of people who need that hope. That's how God works. Power and the work of the Holy Spirit surrounds that, but God wants that to happen. The angel that came to Cornelius, that angel that came and appeared, he didn't preach the gospel to Cornelius. He just pointed him to Peter. He arranged for Peter to be there. I'm sure that angel knew the gospel. I'm sure that angel had been praising Christ. But something more is at play here. The Holy Spirit sets it up. Peter gets to be the witness and tell this story. The Holy Spirit sets it up, puts it together. The angel visits Cornelius. Peter has his vision. The angel tells Peter to go with Cornelius' men. The Holy Spirit enters the lives of the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit's active before, during, and after the whole thing. But the Spirit is the choreographer, the choreographer who puts people who hope have hope in Jesus Christ in their hearts in relationship with those who need to know it and surrounds it all with God's power. And that is God's design, to use us in his work. 
Second observation. The gospel is for everyone. It's not just for the Jews. Cornelius and his household are the first non-Jewish Christians. The, the original Pentecost was Jews only. The faithful Jews from all over the world during the, the celebration of Pentecost were gathered in Jerusalem 49 days after um, Passover. And they're celebrating what Pentecost was about in Jewish tradition, the law being given, given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And the Holy Spirit came down on them, and the Jews were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the church was born. And now here in Caesarea Maritime, it's nine to ten years later, and the same thing happens. But this time, it happens in this port city with the Holy Spirit coming to the Gentiles. So all the time up to this point, the ministry of the disciples were to the Jews. And it had always been God's intent to bless this whole world through the Jews. But there was this tradition that had grown up, a tradition of separation, a tradition that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. It was kind of in order to be ritually clean, in order to be not be corrupted by other religions, in order to be pure. Um, no significant contact with the Gentiles was allowed for Jews. But that wasn't God's plan. And it wasn't actually what was in Old Testament scriptures either. Because in the Old Testament, it's clear that by blessing one family, God would bless all the families of the earth. And that one day, all the nations would flow to the house of the Lord and that God would pour his spirit out on all of humankind. This vision had been twisted and wasn't what the Jews were living at that time. Peter, first, first and foremost. But on that day in Caesarea, God's spirit began to be poured out on all humankind. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ is for the whole world. Third, the, the Holy Spirit directs and redirects and transforms lives. And Peter certainly needed that redirecting. I mean, oftentimes, don't you think that the Holy Spirit transforms those who are bringing the gospel as much as those the Holy Spirit is bringing the gospel to? A tradition of separation between Jew and Gentile was what Peter lived. He couldn't imagine violating it. He denies it three times, and even when the Holy Spirit's talking to him, giving him that vision. It took that vision, it took a directive from the Holy Spirit to change Peter. But he does change, and he goes. He meets with Cornelius. And Peter, later Peter has to even defend those actions of going to Cornelius to his friends in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians there, because they criticize him for going into a Gentile's home and eating with them. But he tells of the vision that he had. He tells of the Spirit's order to tell him to go. And he tells that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles right in front of him, even before he'd stopped preaching. Remembering the words of the Lord, he said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so he tells the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, if God gave them the same spirit gifts that we got when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to hinder what God was doing? And then all those Christians, all those Jewish Christians in Jerusalem started to get on board. And they started praising God for the breadth of what God was doing. They needed this redirect in their life. They needed to be changed in order to be used. They needed to know the broad and generous love of God that was for the whole world, even including Gentiles, which they'd been separated from for so long. And, of course, the other transformation that happens in this text is Cornelius and his whole household. They're changed forever. And the Holy Spirit comes into their lives. They are now the church. 
even before Peter was finished speaking. And actually, in some texts, it says at the beginning, when Peter started to preach, the Holy Spirit came. So it wasn't even totally the effect of his words. It was the Spirit's action in their lives. It's poured out on them. And that Spirit will transform them. It will change them. And that Spirit will never leave them. So what does all this mean for you and me? These are great stories from the past. But I think there are a couple of great applications for us. First, choreography. The Holy Spirit is calling us into the lives of others to bring the hope of Jesus Christ. That is clear. I guess the question for us is, are we awake to the signals of that? Are we open to that? Are we looking for it? I mean, it could be a simple question or series of questions at a coffee cart at camp side by side. Or it could be a prompting in your heart that is urging you to call that person that's been on your mind for a while. Or it could be a surprise encounter with someone you've never met who is brought into your path in the most ordinary of places. Or sometimes it's sharing about Christ, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his impact on our lives from someone who wants to hear. Sometimes it's sharing the forgiveness of Christ to a person crushed by guilt knowing that they are forgiven and you know that for them and you proclaim that for them. Sometimes it's praying for someone. Sometimes it's just listening. Sometimes it's just providing some care. Sometimes it's helping to connect them to another person or another resource. I remember one time I was sitting in a restaurant and I got this call on my cell phone from a parent. And she shared that her son was struggling with alcohol and was in a distant state another state, not Washington. And she wanted to know if I might know another a pastor in that state who might be able to have some resources for help for her son. What that mom didn't know is I was sitting in that state right then. And across the table from me was a pastor who just finished telling me the story of his addiction to alcohol and his recovery, how his congregation had welcomed him back and how he had a ministry of recovery now with other people. So my job was to do the simple thing of hand the phone across the table. (laughs) It's amazing when you see this choreography happen. The spirit wanted it there. It was dramatic. It might be that clear. It might be that dramatic. It may only happen a couple times in your life. Or it might be that very small voice in you calling you into a relationship where the Holy Spirit wants to use you to share hope. But make no mistake. The Holy Spirit is choreographing relationships. Keep your eyes open for it and participate. Second application for us, uh, redirect. Peter needed to change in order to be used by the Holy Spirit in Cornelius' life. If he he couldn't change, he he wouldn't go. He had to let go of this deep-seated prejudices that the Jews had, prejudices the Jews had against Gentiles. So the question I get for us is, Uh, How do we need to be redirected? I mean, what prejudices do we hold that prevent us from answering the call by the Holy Spirit? Are we afraid of the poor, maybe, or afraid of non-Christians or our neighbors or our co-workers or the person who does not look like us? It could be that we do not really believe that the gospel is for the whole world. Or it could be that we don't really believe that it is God's design to use us to share hope in Jesus Christ in people's lives. Or it could be that we know that the Holy Spirit is fully capable of sharing the gospel with anyone the Holy Spirit wants to know it. So why in the world are we needed? It could be that we have developed a little of Peter's challenge 
as we stay separate from non-Christians trying to be as non-contaminated by the world as possible. Or it could be that we haven't embraced that everything depends on our capacity to act on the belief that the Holy Spirit not only raises the dead, but is active in our lives, changing us and guiding us. What needs to change in our hearts? How do we need to be redirected by God's Holy Spirit in order to share the hope that has changed our lives? Lord, you are the choreographer of relationships at at all times. Help us to see and respond when you include us in that choreography. Lord, we confess that we need redirection at times in our lives. We need to be changed into the people you long for us to be. Let us know where we need to change, Lord. Convict our hearts. We ask that you would forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we hang on to prejudices and obstacles that prevent us from being able to partner with you, to share the hope of Christ to those you connect us with. Lord, you are active before, during, and after any encounter you call us into. The hope of Christ, Lord, is for everyone. Lord, help us to have the confidence to act on your leading to share hope where you direct us. In Christ's name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301 extension 117.